Hey, Katie. Hi, Ben. What are we talking about today? Today, we're going to talk about one of my favorite algorithms because it has one of my favorite letters in it, which is the letter K for Katie. <laughs> we're going to talk okay. about K nearest neighbors. All right. You are listening to Linear Digressions. Uh, what is that cereal that starts with K? Special K? K? Special K. That's what I was thinking about. Ah, uh, yeah. So when I was a kid, I always, I, I really had this, this curated list of awesome words that started with K. It was a little bit Did hard. Did you cause, really? Yeah, because there were a lot that's, of words that started with C. That's adorable. Yeah, I remember the whole K and C thing being really confusing when I was a kid. I'm like, why? I, I was thinking, why do we have two letters? That's an excellent question. I don't think we're going to answer it today. <laughs> no, no, we're not. But if you work in machine learning at all, K is maybe one that you use pretty often because there's one unsupervised algorithm that we are not talking about today called K-means clustering. We're going to talk about a supervised algorithm called K-nearest neighbors. And this is one of the, the classic first algorithms that you learn about when you're learning about supervised classification or regression for the first time. But it's one that we have somehow never covered on this podcast, I think, which is funny. I, I think so, too. Well, now we have to make up for that, I suppose. Yeah, that sounds good. So we're going to rewind and talk about something that, if you've been listening for a while, maybe we should have talked about at the beginning. Well, yeah, but enough new people have joined that anyway, I'm sure it's That's not, true. not a waste of time. So K-nearest neighbors. The rough idea here is we're doing supervised classification. You can use it for regression for predicting a continuous output, but classification is a little bit easier to wrap your head around. And the rough idea is that you have all of these data points in some kind of high dimensional space where that space is described by all the variables that describe each of your data points. And you come up with some way of figuring out how far apart they are from each other. And then for a new data point that you want to classify, what you do is you figure out what the nearest points are that you have labels for. You let them vote effectively on what the label should be. And that's what you assign. So, Oh, interesting. So the name is really very descriptive. I think so. I mean, I think one thing that's not crystal clear if you're new to this is what K means. Uh, K, K means. Um, so it means K, K, of course. Uh, yeah, well, I was also making a K means clustering oh, bad so we, joke. So we both went to different... <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, yeah, so K, K is just a stand-in for an integer. And what that, what that integer is parameterizing is how many nearby points are you using to make the prediction so oh i see okay mm -hmm. so in practice k is actually a number it'll be something like the five nearest neighbors or the 10 nearest neighbors and then you usually take a majority share vote for making a prediction or if you want to come up with some kind of probabilistic thing say eight of the nearest neighbors are class a and two of them are class b then you might say like 80 percent probability of class a that sort of thing Oh, neat. I see. So so this is a way of not just saying, okay, it belongs to this group, but it tends more towards this group, but it also kind of tends towards that group. If you want to use it that way, yeah. Um, most supervised classification algorithms have some way of coming up with a probabilistic prediction. Not 
all of them do, but yeah, you can use it that way. Now, one thing that's a little bit tricky is knowing what's a good value of K to pick. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Because like I can, intuitively, it makes sense what K being one would be, is you just find the single nearest point and you say, okay, these are the same thing. Um, but as you get, as you increase K in value, intuitively, that doesn't make as much sense to me what it, what it intuitively would be. Yeah, I mean, there's no hard and fast rule for this. And the reason yeah. this is hard is because it gets at the heart of one of the classic trade-offs in machine learning, which is bias versus variance. And what that means in, in this context is sort of the trade-off between how noisy each individual prediction might be versus overall if there are any types of systematic errors that you tend to make. So to give you a simple example, imagine that you had some imbalanced data so it's 70% class A and it's 30% class B. Uh, assuming that it's all kind of randomly smeared together, then you're always going to be predicting class A. So that's very low variance in the sense that you're not seeing lots of different predictions, but it's relatively high bias because you're always saying the same thing. Mm. And in particular, the chances of that happening is where you're always making the same prediction is going to be quite large if you're doing something like averaging over the 10 nearest neighbors because on average 70 percent of them are going to be pointing you one way and 30 percent the other whereas if you're doing k equals one it's just whatever happens to be nearest by and then 30 percent of the time you could end up with the with class b being your prediction so how do you i guess how do you determine whether you want something like K of 10 or K of 100 or K of 1000. Like that doesn't feel intuitive to me. Intuitively, I feel like, oh, okay, I would go more like with, you know, K is 5 or K is 10 or K is 15. But that's only because those are the examples you've been giving. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think there's no strong theoretical answer to this. I think in practice, most of the time I've been seeing, you know, something like 5, 10, 20. But the other thing that's worth thinking about here is that it's actually, it's an algorithm that you start out learning because it's pretty intuitive. It makes a lot of sense, but it's not usually something that you would use at big scale or in production. And that's for a couple of reasons. One of which is that if you wanted to do K equals a thousand, that'd be expensive. It'd be expensive because you have to do all of these one-to-one -one calculations and then figure out which 1,000 points of the presumably much larger data set you would be drawing from. Because think about it, if, if you're using k equals 1,000 and you only have 1,100 data, data points in your data set, then you should probably just always impute the, the mean and save yourself the trouble. So mm, it, really, right. <laughs> it really makes the most sense when k is much smaller than the number of points that you have in your data set. But then if you have a super big data set, then you have to do all of these individual point-wise distance calculations and then stack rank them. And that's just not, it's not super efficient. So in practice, having a very large K value is not something that's gonna be very performant usually. That makes sense. So would you use this in any real like would you go to work and use this in any work scenario just like okay i'm going to throw this together and, and see what i get out to learn more about your data set or do you find that it's more used as 
an educational tool, but there are other algorithms that are virtually always better. Well, when you're actually using an algorithm in practice, it's pretty uncommon in my experience that the data is orderly enough that k-nearest neighbors makes sense. So let me explain what I mean. To argue against myself for a second, let's take a case in which I'm doing some kind of geographical clustering, where I literally just care about who are your literal geographic neighbors who live close to you. And I can measure that by saying, what is your latitude and longitude? What is your What are the latitude and longitude of your nearest neighbors? And then we make a calculation that way. And the distance between you is something that's very well, very well understood because it has this intuitive physical interpretation. So that's, that's the case when it's easy, but in practice, very often when you're doing supervised learning, your data is much richer than that. So a problem that's harder though, is let's suppose, let's take the regression case. Let's say I'm trying to figure out, predict what your income should be as a function of a bunch of variables about you. And so these variables might include stuff like, how long have you been out of school? What was your degree in? Do you manage people? Do you not manage people? What industry do you work in? How many years of directly relevant experience do you have? Who do you know? Uh, Are you a man or a woman? There's all kinds of stuff that could be relevant for that calculation, right? And depending on what that data is and how it's represented, it can actually be really tricky to figure out what far apart means in that kind of context. So let me give you a, let me give you a simple example. Uh, let's imagine two different scenarios. One in which we have, what are your years of education? And that's encoded as like an integer or a floating point number. So it's typically taking on values from, let's say 12, if you just completed high school up to 25, if you did high school plus college plus, well, probably wouldn't be 25. Well, it could be 25 high school plus college, plus like a PhD plus maybe like you got a professional degree, something, something like stacking them up. Right. So 12 to 25 is the range of that variable. Now let's imagine that I took the exact same variable and I recoded it so that it goes from one to five, where one means high school, two means college, three means more college, you know, and so on. Mm-hmm. So I'm representing the same data, but if I'm putting... Oh, interesting. Yeah, if I'm putting in a variable that goes from 12 to 25, and I'm saying how far apart are people within this range, I take the same variable and I put it in from 1 to 5, I say how far apart are people in this range. They might be 10 apart in example 1 and only 2 apart in example 2. And I see. And when you're using those distances as the way that you're saying how far apart people are, then uh, the range of your data takes on an importance that it doesn't that doesn't reflect uh, intuition very well. Sometimes so you have to be really careful about stuff like that. This feels kind of like a, a what I would think of in software as a type coercion issue, where you've got all of these different distances of different types. One might be uh, income. One might be uh, uh, where you, you, the location that you grew up or your socioeconomic status or your grade level, like all of these various things are not really comparable. You can't convert them all to a single distance measurement. 
because there is no comparison. You, like you have to make up a comparison function to compare these things, right? And so that kind of gets to, I guess that's another way of representing what you're saying is that distance is not just a single thing. It's actually that all of these different dimensions of your data are not really, the distances are not really easily comparable. Yep, and that's exactly the problem that you have actually with other types of algorithms that use these distance calculations is you just have to be really careful about shoving data into those because the distance calculations will respond to that. Another classic problem is sometimes you have continuous data, sometimes you have categorical or binary data, like how do you combine those into a distance function? It's not always super clear. So in practice, this is it's a nice conceptual model and it helps uh, get you kind of used to the idea of supervised classification, but in practice, very often you're working with data that's sometimes a little bit too rich, a little bit too complex, and there's other algorithms that can handle that more elegantly than k-nearest neighbors. You know, what else is neat, uh, and it didn't cross my mind when you were first describing the geographic one, where you have a latitude and longitude, is that the reason that latitude and longitude works is that the distance uh, in the x-axis on a globe is the same type of distance as the y-axis. So it's not even about the number of dimensions of your data. It's about how how the measurements uh, connect to each other and whether they're the same thing or something fundamentally different. Yeah, you could imagine the exact same problem arising if instead of latitude and longitude for both points, you measured it in centimeters east-west and miles north-south. Like centimeters will always win because it will be in the the hundreds or the thousands or the millions and miles will be in the one to 10 to a hundred. Yeah. Or, or like you measure it in feet along one axis and the person's stride in, uh, on the other dimension, which is different from person to person even. Exactly. Yeah. So you can just, you can scale data arbitrarily in any direction, but you know, your distance function then will be really responsive to that in a way that you might not necessarily want. You know, this is interesting. Um, the idea that your comparison function is really where all of the complexity and, and maybe even decision-making for what your model ultimately spits out, uh, that idea, I've understood that idea in a software context, but in doing this show with you for years now, this is the first time that it's it's really clear to me how how easy it is to kind of step in it, you know, to like put together a really good model and everything, but then something fundamental and basic and easy to overlook, like uh, my multiple axes of data are just different, fundamentally different things. And I'm assuming that they're, you know, similar in some way that they're not can really impact your results and kind of invalidate everything that you're doing. Yep, you got to be careful. So it's a good place to start, again, in terms of algorithms. Um, but it's got all this hidden complexity right under the surface. So I hope for those of you that you're learning about this for the first time, that helps a little bit. And for those of you who've, who already knew about it, but didn't think about it in this way, hope you appreciate that too. Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. 
To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lin Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.